Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. Never make rice with just water. Oh my God, no. I'm Delia Colon, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Creating restaurant-quality meals at home is easier than you'd think. Today, we'll learn tricks of the trade from Chef Dennis Litley. Today, we're geeking out over the details that can help turn your home-cooked meals into restaurant-quality creations. For advice, we turn to Chef Dennis Litley. He's the food and travel blogger behind AskChefDennis.com. After a career in Kissimmee, Dennis recently relocated to New Jersey. I caught up with him to find out how to select recipes an easy way to add flavor to dishes, and why sometimes the best thing you can do is break the rules. It's just a slower pace in Florida. St. Pete's Beach was great. You know, nothing extravagant, but just that beachy feel to it. Uh, St. Augustine, some of the best food I've had. You know, that's more of a higher end food town for things. Uh, So I really love St. Augustine. In fact, we're going to be wintering there this year when we go back. So I'm anxious to to get into all those restaurants again. We never made it up to the panhandle, which is something, or the keys. You know, it just didn't happen. So I'm sure there's a lot of restaurants there. But, you know, I kind of like the smaller local restaurants. I mean, you could eat in the Orlando area at a different restaurant three times a day and never get through them all. I mean, there's so many places. Orlando really is a serious foodie town. It really is. And there's a lot of really good places there. Uh, But you got to kind of pick through the neighborhoods, you know, and because one thing I didn't know when I first moved there was Orlando. It's just a bunch of neighborhoods. You know, there's the Milk District. You know, I don't remember them all, but I remember the Milk District and, you know, other Baldwin Park, uh, Zalia Park. And, you know, and each one of those little areas has all these, you know, not a lot, but they have these great local restaurants. Do you remember any favorites? I, I always enjoyed going in Cuba Libre, and that was in Orlando, but they also had one uh, in Philadelphia. It's where they originally started. And uh, there was a uh, Rocco's Tacos was always a, a cool place to go. Um, believe it or not, I, I enjoyed Miller's Ale House. We, when, when we wanted a decent meal without any of the drama or quick in and out, we would go to Miller's and just it was never disappointing. You know what? My husband and I were just talking about Miller's Ale House because when he was in grad school, every time he finished a course or an exam, we would go there for a little celebration. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, your website is called askchefdennis.com. Mm-hmm. So what are the most common questions that people ask you? Oh, there, there is no single question. I get things just off the cuff. I One day I got, Chef Dennis, how do you cook goat? And my first response is, have you ever seen me cook goat? What are you asking me for? And then I says, I'm a Chef Dennis. So I have to go Google and learn about cooking goat. It took me about an hour to figure out what the best way to cook goat would be and how to cook it. So then I answered him. 
I, I don't do that for everyone, but that one just kind of intrigued me. Uh, but, you know, I'll get different questions. I'm, they made my Jewish apple cake and actually a, a nun just wrote to me and she said she had had this topping for it that after it was almost done, you put this topping on it and finished baking it. And it sounded amazing, but I'd never heard of it before. So she was asking if I'd ever heard of that. So I, I get those questions too, just about, you know, do, do I need to use this in it? You know, and my big push now with my recipes is it, everything is not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's not etched in stone. You can change the recipe. You know, if it's not baking, baking is chemistry. If it's not baking, you can adapt the recipe to use what you like in it. You know, and that's the biggest thing. People, you know, people don't like to cook because a lot of times they cook with ingredients they don't like to eat simply because the chefs or the recipe person said that's what goes in there. You know, and and then there you, you you've waited, you've made all this time in the kitchen preparing this dish, and you get it out to your family, and they don't like it either because it's got that in it, and then you you don't want to go back in the kitchen. So you define the joy in cooking. You need to start adapting those recipes by pulling an ingredient out and putting something in its place. Like I, I have a shrimp and broccoli recipe. A lot of people don't like broccoli. Uh, if you don't like broccoli, I said, put spinach in there, maybe put, uh, you know, mushrooms in there, put you know, asparagus in there, put zucchini in there, you know, there's all things, what do you like to eat, you know, and you should always cook with foods you like to eat and make them work. That sounds so obvious, but I am guilty of that. The, oh, yeah. the cookbook author, Alison Roman, mm -hmm. for a while, I was on a streak with her. I loved everything she made. I did everything exactly to the letter, how she said it should be done. And then there was a recipe that had mushrooms. I hate mushrooms, but I'm like, well, Allison Roman is smarter than me. So oh. I made it and I hated it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's the truth. I, I love mushrooms too. And, and in the restaurant, we used them in a lot of dishes because they added a little woodsy flavor, but they added volume to the dish and mushrooms were cheap. So, you know, the plate would come out fuller because I was using mushrooms. But, you know, there's a lot of people don't like mushrooms. So, yeah, that's it. It's it's not going to kill the dish. You know, like I use artichokes in some dish. People don't like artichokes. And I'll tell them, okay, you, you don't have to use them. That's fine. When people would say no artichokes in a restaurant, as long as they weren't allergic to them, are they allergic to artichokes? No, they just don't like them. I would use some of the juice from the artichokes because that would give that would give that soft rounded flavor to the dish. Did, ah. not have to, did not have to have them in it. It would help enhance the dish, though. Oh, that's a good tip. Okay. On your website, it also says, my goal is to help you understand that cooking delicious restaurant style meals in your own home is not as difficult as you think. So what are some of the keys to creating a restaurant style dish at home? Well, the first thing to remember that in a restaurant, through all my years in a restaurant, when you came in to order, it didn't take an hour to make what you had. Okay. Most of the things I did were saute in the oven or on a grill, you know, and the meal should take about 20 minutes, 30 minutes tops to, to cook and start out with a restaurant style meal is to kind of adapt your cooking styles to think of it a little bit differently and not to have to use all these new fancy kitchen gadgets, saute pans, you know, a frying pan. A frying pan, you can make almost anything you want to eat for dinner in it. And most of the dishes I have that are saute, if you're serving them over pasta, the pasta more times takes longer to cook than what you're cooking in the pan. 
That's a very good point. Are there any sort of finishing touches? Because I use a saute pan and I love to make pasta. Mm -hmm. But the other night I went to Carabas mm -hmm. and I don't know how to make food that tastes like that, you know? What oh. are the other keys to making a, a restaurant quality dish besides, I'm sure, a, a ton of salt and butter? <laughs> well, well, you know, butter butter helps, but it doesn't have to be a lot. And one thing to remember, like with butter or really good olive oil, is you want to use it at the end of the dish. That's when you're going to taste it. So you don't need to saute it in butter. There's some recipes that'll tell you to use half butter or half olive oil, but for the most part, you know, olive oil to saute it, or if you like avocado oil, you know, whatever, you know, you prefer. And then with a pasta dish, if you had some really good olive oil you bought, I would then drizzle it with a little bit of that olive oil, because then you're going to pick up those nutty flavors from the really good olive oil. Same thing with butter, like for a pan sauce, Say I'm making a chicken dish uh, or a seafood shrimp dish and the sauce is too loose, it's watery. Okay, I'll take a piece of butter and I put it in flour and I squish the flour all into the butter. Then I put the butter into the pan and that flour and the butter thickens the sauce and adds the flavor of the butter to it. So I'm not using a whole lot. It's not like your artery, you can feel your arteries hardening. You know, it's just, just enough to give it a little flavor. Sourcing is the other big thing and, and finding the, the correct ingredients and changing some of your shopping habits of what you buy. Okay, say more about that. For instance, what is really good olive oil? Is it just the most expensive one? Oh, no, not necessarily. I, I just bought olive oil. It was actually on sale. A, a lot of the big problems with olive oil was that for a while, there was a lot of counterfeit olive oil organized crime had found out. I know, I know. You think oh my it's gosh, that sounds like a Netflix documentary. I know. Well, it, this was, it really hit about 2010, I think was when it really, really hit. They were buying rancid oil. They were buying uh, non-virgin oil. They were adding a little to it. They were slapping the label of extra virgin on it and selling it. Or it really wasn't even olive oil. I mean, if you put olive oil in your refrigerator, it should start to to gel it should start to, to get thick okay that's how you can always tell it's really olive oil number one are we supposed to keep it in the refrigerator no no i'm just saying that's a way to tell you know it's like I, i'll make some salad dressings and i usually don't make them with all olive oil because it's too strong of a taste first of all and they just like you know how fat gets on the top of something, how it gets soft and, and thick. That's the same thing with olive oil. It get that way. Then you got to let it come to room temperature Yep. so, so you can use it. Uh, no, I keep my olive oil on the shelf. I don't always buy organic, but I do try to buy single origin olive oil. Look at the bottles you buy. And, and a lot of times what they've got BOGOs on at Publix isn't always the best olive oil. But, you know, again, if that's what you can afford, yeah, I'm not going to tell you not to buy it. How long can we keep it? Because I see those BOGOs at Publix, but I think, will I use it before it goes bad? Well, if you keep it in a dark place, you know, in a cabinet that doesn't get a lot of light, you'll notice that those bottles, another good tell is the bottles of the good olive oils are generally not clear. They're dark green or dark brown, so the light doesn't get through. Okay, once you open it and you're letting oxygen into it, that's when the de degradation starts, but it, it'll last three, four months and you'll know when it's bad. I mean, you'll smell it and it'll smell rancid, but I, I, I don't think, I used to buy it by the gallon 
And I stopped doing that because I just wasn't using as much as I used to use. So now I buy a 25 ounce or a 34 ounce bottle of it and always go through it. Because I, I don't use, I use corn oil if I'm frying something because I don't want to spend the money on olive oil. And I use corn oil for baking because it, I don't want the flavor to affect when I'm baking. Support for the Zest podcast comes from Seitenbacher brand natural foods like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten-free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at seitenbacher.com. Well, I didn't know we were going to do a deep dive into olive oil, but this is so helpful because that's one of those ingredients that yeah. we pull out multiple yes. times yeah. a day. Yeah. What are some other ingredients that we should be more mindful when sourcing? One of the things to cook like a restaurant chef are soup bases. Now, a lot of people buy stock and they buy those quarts of bone broth or, or uh, chicken stock or chicken broth. Okay. You'll find these little jars in Publix and, and pretty much everywhere. I can find them up in New Jersey now too. I usually order from Amazon and I get miners, which is the industry standard for restaurants, a miner's soup base. And it'll cost like 13 or $15 for a pound and the pound will last you depends on how much soup you make. You know, it, it might not last you as long as you think, but at Publix, they sell a product called better than bullion. Love it. Yeah. It looks like a jar of like black paste. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the reduced, you know, the meats are roasted and roasted and cooked down the bones are cooked down and they reduce them so that they make this, the, the intense flavor of it. And I found, I went on their website one time and they have so many different flavors and I ordered, I ordered about six or eight of them. I think it was from their website. You can get mushroom base. You can get, I think I got, it was for Thanksgiving. I got turkey base. I couldn't find that anywhere. Ah, uh, I yeah. use the vegetable. Now, what are you doing with it? Because yeah, soups are obvious, but what else are you doing with it? Okay. Uh, I'm making a chicken dish. So I'm sauteing my chicken and I'm cooking that and the vegetables that are in it and whatever I'm putting in. Now you would either at that point in the restaurant, hit it with a little white wine to deglaze the pan. And the deglazing is a not hot liquid that you're adding in that will stop the cooking or, or, or slow it down. And it will also release all those tasty bits that are sticking to the pan. Because all those little pieces that are sticking to the pan are all, are all full of flavor. So I do that. So I might just use water then because I'm going to take a little bit of that chicken base out of my jar and put that into the dish. Or, you know, if you want to make the chicken stock first, whether you can do that. I'm, I'm just usually not that industrious. So I just take a little half a spoonful and put it in, season it. And that chicken stock, even with shrimp, you don't taste chicken. Because honestly, a lot of the taste is seasoning and salt. So I don't add salt to dishes. I add the stock. So it could be vegetable if you're making a vegetable dish or if you want to keep it non if you don't want to put the chicken in it I, I don't use seafood stocks as much unless i'm making a, like a lobster bisque or a shrimp chowder even shrimp chowder because the seafood stocks have this soft taste in the back of the mouth and like my clam chatters i make i make them all with chicken stock always have and you don't taste chicken at all you taste clams but you have that little bite that that really gives it a punch so, you know, that's that's the difference in, you know, the restaurant style cooking that and, and you have somebody that cuts all your vegetables for you and fills up your pans. <laughs> that 
part because these 20 minute, you know, Rachel Ray, 30 minute meals, I'm going, okay, but you had somebody prep all that for you. I also like to use the better than boyan to make rice. Oh yeah. Never make rice with just water. Oh my God. No. That, do you do it on the stove or do you do it in the oven or how do you do it? Ooh, oven. Say more about that. I do it on the stove and okay. I will do like half stock and half mm-hmm. coconut milk. Oh, okay. That's nice. And I like that. Tell me about making rice in the oven. It seems like we're nerding out on these details, but when I talk to chefs, they always say, keep it simple. Yeah. The only way to do that is if you're using really good ingredients and good techniques. Yeah. And it's not so much that they're odd techniques or something that's just in the restaurant. It's just something you never learned or what you weren't privy to. With cooking rice in the oven, all right, now I would cook a hotel. I don't know if you know what a hotel pan is, but it's a large, about two-inch pan, 18 by maybe 12 or something. I forget what the exact thing is. So I would fill that with the rice. I put the liquid in it. I would put the stock, the base, you know, hunk of the base in. Always put butter in my rice. Uh, you know, not a lot, but some butter and then cover it with foil and then it goes in the oven. And generally about the same time it would take to cook on the stove is about how long it's going to take in the oven. You know, we used to use a steamer too if we had a steamer on on staff because that'll cook rice really nice and fluffy too. But the oven is kind of um like say you were having a fun a party and you were having 15, 20 people there, you know, and you wanted a lot of rice, you were going to make Mexican rice, you know, or something. And you wanted, or you were going to serve everything over rice. And you wanted to, you didn't want to have that little pot and keep making that or a bit, because when you make a big pot, it kind of sticks and it gets harder. So, you know, in the oven, then it's not disturbed. It just kind of puffs up and then you'll just like to take a fork and fluff it around a little bit. So. Man, this is so good. These basics. And you said that a lot of these meals can come together in about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. But it seems like the the time and the effort goes into thinking through what you're doing and some of the sourcing and the prep. Well, what I do, people always say, how do you decide what you want to make? Like for the blog, especially, you know, and I have most of the bloggers you talk to will say, well, I go to do keyword search and I see what is going to get a lot of traffic. And then I make that. I decide what I want to have for dinner and I make that. And then I go to the keyword search afterwards to see what I can put in there. Now I'm not a dummy, but I, I don't base what I make on what is going to do well in search. I, I want to make what I, what I like eating, what I know my customers used to like eating, what my friends like to eat, and then educate you on how easy it is to make something like that. Uh, and, and as for sourcing, like the first thing I do, and, and most of the stores help you out that way because produce is the first section you go into. It's just the way stores are set up. I look to see what is the freshest, what is local, and just what produce looks the best and what what I haven't seen in a while. Like they had, before I left Florida, I, I had I was getting broccolini and I hadn't seen that in a while. So I was using that. So you, you pick your produce first, and then you decide what you're going to make using that produce kind of a thing uh, in terms of the protein you're going to add. Is it going to be a side vegetable? Is it going to be part of the saute dish? You know, or is it going to just be an addition that's going to be added with it at the end? So you start to get that process. And then pretty soon you'll start to just buy things that you know you're going to use and keep them in your refrigerator. Like 
I always have mushrooms because we both love mushrooms. <laughs> all right. You wouldn't do that. All right. So, uh, I mean, I always have uh, Vidalia onions and I always have a couple kinds of potatoes and I always have at least one red onion because uh, something is going to need a red onion. Uh, carrots. I, I like to buy the multicolored carrots when I can find them. I love those. Uh, celery hearts instead of the whole celery. And there's certain things I buy organic when I can. Celery is one of them. Carrots is another one. Things that are like in the ground too, I try to buy organic when I can. But again, it's it's all a matter of what you can afford, what you can find where you're shopping. You know, it, it, it's again, this is your dinner. It should be made with ingredients that you feel comfortable with. The way you're describing it, I've heard other chefs say, we spoke with Justin Timonary of Fresh from Florida, and he said mm -hmm. the same thing. Don't make your list and then go to the market. Yeah. Go to the market and then see what looks good and make your list from that. But for yep. people who are uncomfortable tweaking recipes, that's kind of scary. So do you have any advice for, for sort of cutting loose? Well, you know, it's scary at first. But, you know, pick the things that you like to eat. You know, it's just what I had talked about before. You want to pick the vegetables or the grains. You know, for years, we wouldn't touch brown rice. And then my wife got a heart condition. That's all we eat now. I love brown rice. And I'm cooking and thinking, this is what my grandmother used to make Mexican rice with. And so that's why it never comes out right, because I was using white rice. Pick the ingredients that, you know, you want it, that you eat for your diet or for your lifestyle and then make things around them. You know, again, if my recipe for chicken piccata has mushrooms, artichokes and lemon juice in it, you know, if you don't like the mushrooms, leave them out and maybe you make chicken and piccata with asparagus or, you know, chicken or, or if you don't like any of those things, just make the chicken with the sauce and serve it over rice or with your vegetables. So it's just a matter of getting that mindset out about being rigid and, and knowing that it's just food, okay? It's just food and start to have fun with it. And when you have fun with it, that will translate in the dishes you're making for your family and they'll start to see it. And then you can start getting them involved too. You know, and, and then, you, then you've got a really good bonding time that, you know, I think years gone by, we had more of that, you know, so we, as families just don't eat together the way they used to. And food is meant to bring people together. That's what it does. Very well said. As we start to wrap up here, I'm scrolling through your Instagram. My mouth is watering. <laughs> you said that you just kind of make what you feel like having for dinner that night, yeah. but it's resonating with people. I mean, at the time of this recording, you've got more than 53,000 Instagram followers. So what yeah. are what are some of the most popular recipes and what is the key? A lot of people listening want to be in your shoes. What is the key to to gaining a following? Uh, it's it's not easy, and it's it's getting harder every day. Uh, TikTok, I think, is the one you can still get a lot of followers on. Starting are you, fresh. Are you on TikTok? I am, but you know, it, again, uh, I'm old. It's not my it's not my platform. Listen, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm an '80s baby, and I'm not on TikTok either. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm I, not on TikTok. I, I want to be on it, but I kind of. I, I was a pioneer in live streaming when it first started. I used Google Hangouts, and uh, and actually that's what really got me my push. I was using Google the way 
they wanted it to be used. So they rewarded me by putting me on the follow list with Rachel Ray, Martha Stewart, Anthony Bourdain, Emeril Lagasse. And here's Chef Dennis. I'm going, I don't know how the hell this happened. But, you know, I had over a million followers on Google Plus when it when they shut it down. I, I hyperventilated for a while when they shut it down, too. It's like... <laughs> I forgot about Google Plus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved Google Plus. It was a love-hate. You, you, there was no middle ground. You either loved it or you hated it, but I loved it. Okay. Well, you're still doing your thing. Any advice? I know the, the social media landscape is constantly changing, but for the people out there who want to be a food influencer, yeah. what's well, the you, advice? You need to take good pictures or video. You know, the video these days needs to be in small bites because that's what people are consuming. You know, it's 30 seconds to a minute. Maybe I think uh, Instagram just upped it to a minute and a half on their reels. So they are pushing it a little bit, but it, it needs to be quality. You know, the days of when Instagram first came out, it was like you were taking pictures with your phone. And then all of a sudden, people started putting these polished, finished pictures up. I'm like, well, that's not fair. This is supposed to be with your phone. So, of course, you know, that's what everybody does now. They put the photoshopped images of the best quality. Um, But you really need to uh, work on the quality of your images. If you're dining out, you know, you can still get some really good pictures of food. I I did not like dining at night because it would be too dark. But then I found out that... uh, you know, I worked out a system, we were in Ireland, and I worked out a system with a little point and shoot, where I would put my phone tilted right above the camera, not over because it made the food look crappy, but just like right above the camera. And the pictures would come out pretty good that way. But you know, find find a way to get those good pictures. Even if you go into the chef and and ask him to take pictures of the food he's making, you know, work a deal, take some for you, take some for him. And then now you got a new friend and you can share each other's stuff. And always, if you want to be an influencer, always try to teach the people whose you know, restaurant you're, you're using, teach them a little something, give them a little something. Don't just take, don't just ask for free food. If you're going to do it, there's got to be a return for them. So, so what do you do for social media? I was just talking to my son about this. He works in a place called Chicky and Pete's, which is a wing place. And I said, what do they do for social media? He goes, it's horrible. I says, get a little iPad mini, you know, log it into accounts, pass it around to your bartenders, your servers, your cooks, let them take little short bites of video and start popping them on, you know, let get everybody's perspective on it. So you teach people how to be successful at what they're doing too. And that goes a long way with making relationships and helping you grow. Well, this is great advice. I learned a lot in such a short amount of time, everything from being a home cook to people who are an aspiring influencer to people who are on the behind the counter side or in the kitchen, something for everybody. Chef Dennis, is there anything else you would like to add? Oh, no, just again, find joy in what you were cooking by cooking with things that you like to eat. Experiment once you get out of that, you get out of your comfort zone a little, experiment with some food. But always remember, just because somebody like me tells you it should have artichokes in it doesn't mean it's got to. You know, it's 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 your dinner. Make it how you want. Okay, no mushrooms for me. There you go. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. It was great to talk to you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Chef Dennis Litley's website is askchefdennis.com. You can find his recipe for minestrone on our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Dalia Colon. I produce The Zest with Andrew Lucas. We get help from Chandler Balcom, Hannah Abdel-Majid, John Vargas, and Mark Hayes. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2022.